there's nothing wrong There's a code of silence and it can't go on Hi folks, I am Alan Watt This is Cutting for the Matrix on Friday the 13th of February 2009 I always ask that newcomers look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com and download as many of the previous talks I've given as they wish where I try to go into some of the histories of this very complex system that's now forging ahead pretty well openly and showing you how it's done uh, the foundations behind it the organizations and it really is a very ancient system indeed even I've only given you a couple of hundred years of it because it was much much further or further back than that Knowledge is never discarded, it's always kept in archives for future use, especially when it's to do with understanding human behavior. Also looking to Alan Watt's Sentinel for transcripts of these talks, which you can download, print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. For those who listen to these shows, I always ask in the beginning, that you go into cuttingthroughmatrix.com website and you can see what's for sale there. That keeps me going. There's not much. And you can also donate to me. That keeps, that keeps things just ticking along here. And I know it's bad in these times of economic depression, and that's what we're truly in, planned economic depression. But we have to struggle through it some way or another. It's fascinating, as I say, when you've read so many books, and you've lived long enough to see many of the things that were written about come to pass, not because people had uh, crystal balls to, to, to gaze into or because they read the stars. It's because, literally, we live through a, a plan, an agenda. They can never rush ahead too quickly because it's incremental. It goes intergenerationally. We, as human beings, like things to be familiar to us at one time, things didn't change much between grandparents to the children. Life was always much the same. And steady, well, that's all been destroyed, intentionally so, because once you destroy it and there's no past to fall back on, it's familiar to you, you're now in flux, you're in a state of change, and those who control the direction of change can bring it on all the quicker. And that is what we're living through today. All the, the past is gone. Education much of it has gone down the memory hole as far as history goes. Therefore, those who are alive today, we kind of float through life, getting fed trivia by the media, and interspersed between the trivia, we get little bits of what's happening, but never the real reasons behind it, and definitely never the fact that it's part of an agenda. You have to go into the books written by the big players themselves down through the years, and they, and they do publish them. But it's dry reading, and generally, not always, but generally they never meet the bestsellers uh, book club of the year list. They're, they're put out really for people who are into organizing people, organizing nations, the controllers, and that's who reads these books primarily. They do tend to put them into libraries for those who ask for them, but even that's falling away today. Many of the books are simply disappearing. The ones that they go, up, go up on e-books, you know, the electronic bookstores, often have chunks of them omitted completely. So 
so those who are alive today will never really know the whole story unless they have the original books. That's how history is controlled. It's a very powerful thing, history. All knowledge is power, and we are people who are always in charge of it to ensure they stay in power. And I'm going to read a couple of articles after this break and then continue with the the latter part of Hope of the Wicked to show you how things were incrementally put in. but 
how it is being said. The company's headquarters in the Dutch city of Amsterfurt, Bram Coopers, explained that Sigurd was listening for the changes that affect the human voice in an aggressive situation. I think it was in the 1970s, and I've gone through some of the, the articles before from the American Psychological Association, where they stated quite categorically they were going to push to have cameras in everybody's homes watching them for aggressive responses, actions, gestures, or even even movements of the face so they could intervene before problems started. Well, you see, that's all coming because with everyone hooked up to the computer and with uh, basically many laptops, for instance, having the cameras already built in, people are being watched all the time. Eventually, they'll come to the stage where you'll be told from your own screen to go and take a certain pill from the cabinet. And they'll watch you as you do it, as you take it. That's coming down the road. That's so obvious. So they're putting in cameras that are designed to watch your behavior, basically, your movements. And they're programmed in such a way as to detect them. And supposedly it's fairly accurate, so they say. So you're not allowed to show any anger or even frustration anymore. It probably will be dangerous down the road to appear upset or annoyed even about something. That's what's coming. And he's from Canada. This is happening all, all over the world, as I say. It's, it's, all newspapers now are interchangeable as far as their, their, their news items because they're all using the same techniques to, from the top down. And this is from the Globe and Mail. February the 12th, new law to give police access to online exchanges by Bill Curry. And it says here, the Conservative government is preparing sweeping new eavesdropping legislation that will force Internet service providers to let police tap exchanges on their systems, but will likely reignite fear that Big Brother will be monitoring the private conversations of Canadians. And, you know, a few years ago, in all the papers, they showed us banks of police all sitting at computers, scouring the Internet. So they're already doing it. Does that mean that they were doing it illegally before, or now they're giving themselves legal permission to do it? That's up in the air, we don't know. But they have been doing it all along, because it's been in the newspapers. So the goal of the move, which would require police to obtain court approval, is to close what has been described as digital safe havens for criminals. It's always the same thing, pedophiles and terrorists, because current eavesdropping laws were written at a time before text messages, Facebook, and voice over Internet phone lines. So in other words, we've all to get watched because of a few cr criminals. But they will always be there, and the criminals always get round the laws. That's why they're criminals. So the change is certain to please the RCMP and other police forces who've sought it for some time, but is expected to face resistance from industry players concerned about the cost and civil libertarians who warn the powers will effectively place Canadians under constant surveillance. Well, of course, that's the intention of it. But what's the kicker? What can we do about it? That's always what we ask. What can we do about it? Because it's all coming from the top down like some big Nero just making decrees and putting into law. The public have no input into this whatsoever. 
And since when do police forces demand anything as supposed to do what they're told on behalf of the people? But they demand legislation now, like a non-governmental organization. So this is the kind of world we're going into. It's not a world that any of us would choose, I, I'm sure, unless you're a masochist. Having gone on about the lead-up to the state we're in today by going through a book called Hope for the Wicked by Ted Flynn, and he has it in good order how it's in different parts have been implemented of this whole system year by year and the various publications and books put out and the laws put out year by year up to the present and the finished yesterday in 1985. The sad thing is, a lot of people will hear this stuff today and it will mean nothing to them because, you see, each generation is so altered from the previous generation. They'll say, so what? Everything seems normal to you in your lifetime. It seems normal. You're not in touch with the previous generation that would see any abnormality. Every child that's born thinks the system they're born into is normal. And if we're born into a system of total surveillance, like many of them have been already, they're growing up now thinking everything is quite normal. They think that having no privacy is normal. They don't know that wars were fought in the past to obtain privacy. I'll continue with some of this. It's 1987, the secret constitution and the need for constitutional change is sponsored in part by the Rockefeller Foundation. Well, who else? <clears throat> Some thoughts of author Arthur S. Miller. He says, A pervasive system of thought control exists in the United States. The citizenry is indoctrinated by empowerment of the mass media and the system of public education. People are told what to think about as the old order crumbles. And I've already gone through the system that they use with the Bernays techniques to create the new American culture, destroy the old in the process, and elevate government to the top. Nationalism should be seen as a dangerous social disease, that's what it said. A new vision is required to plan and manage the future, a global vision that will transcend national boundaries and eliminate the poison of nationalistic solutions. A new constitution is necessary. And that was sponsored, in part, funded by the Rockefeller Foundation. To get a hold of it, it's an interesting read. 1988, former Under Secretary of State and CFR member George Ball, in a January 24th interview in the New York Times, says, the Cold War should no longer be the kind of obsessive concern that it is. Neither side is going to attack the other deliberately. That was true. If we could internationalize by using the UN in conjunction with the Soviet Union, we would now have, no longer have anything to fear, in most cases a Soviet veto, then we could begin to transform the shape of the world and might get the United Nations back to doing something useful. Sooner or later we're going to have to face restructuring our institutions so that they are not confined merely to the nation states. Start first on a regional and a region and ultimately, you could move to a world basis, and that's where we are today. 1988, 
an address to the United Nations, Mikhail Gorbachev calls for mutual consensus. World progress is only possible through a search for universal human consensus as we move forward to a new world order. 1989, President Bush, speaking to the graduating class at Texas A&M, says, ultimately our objective is to welcome the Soviet Union back into the world order. And we're back with more after this break. once there when I was going to Iroquois Falls. I'm sure you know where that is. Yes, I do. Anyway, what I'm really wondering about is that uh, all I hear on this news and everything, do I really know who to believe? On the news. One side, it comes from the other side. Yeah. I mean, I remember being in the 80s with the Cold War. That was clear cut. What's going on now? Well, even during the, the, the whole time, I mean, that was proven at the, the Rees Commission in the 50s uh, that the, the Cold War was a scam. I mean, the commission from the U.S. Congress went into all the foundations to find out that the, they were funding all the NGOs back home to help bring the Soviet system into the West, to unite it. So, literally, the Cold War was a setup, as they say. And there's many people who work for MI5 and MI6 who've come out even during the, that term and, uh, and let the cat out the bag. I think Peter uh, uh, Wright was one of them. He wrote the, the spy catcher. And he said the same thing. He says, he says, how come the top people who are running the security systems of Britain, meaning his superiors, uh, were in league with the superiors in the Soviet system, and they couldn't keep anything secret or passing information at the very, very top. The guys at the bottom, the little spies, were nothing at all. The guys in charge were actually in collusion with each other on both sides. So it's the Hegelian dialectic. To change the world, you've got to have an enemy. And so right after Adolf Hitler was out of the way, uh, Uncle Joe Stalin, and that's why he was called during World War II, he was a good guy, suddenly became the bad guy, the bad bear, and he was the, he was the good enemy for a long enough time until both sides, both cultures were transformed by the Cold War and you bring in unification. This was all planned that way, and that's how it literally is done. That's how it's done. You can plan the whole century ahead, and these guys do. Sir, did you not have a feeling that life was more secure in the 80s? Um, it was not very really clear. Cut, I did a lot it? of traveling um, in Europe, and I was struck immediately by uh, every little country in Europe seemed to be a little scientific project. I saw a socialist type system that did benefit the people at the time. See, in yes. Norway, I went to. Uh, I'd go to Holland and find a different system where they were literally paying men to stay at home and raise the children and paying the women to go out to work. So there was experimentation going on, and I thought, well, someone's in charge of all this experimentation. 
And eventually, of course, what I've done is recombined all those experiments into the one world system that we're living through today. Yeah. Uh, okay. So things were really happening at that time. And I also knew that the same laws, by traveling from country to country, laws were being declared on the media in each country as though it was their own. Uh, they wouldn't say this was being implemented in France and Britain at the same time, but they all were getting the same laws passed at the same time in every country, which meant it was already a controlling factor. Okay, sir. Thank you very much for your opinion. Yeah, thanks for calling. And, yeah, it's confusing because the media is not there to tell you the real purpose of everything. It's meant to either scare you or make you thinking, think that you are getting the ultimate news. They never tell you the real purposes behind it. The person that was in charge, got put in charge of the British security services during the Cold War was Lord Victor Rothschild. He was in charge of all the British security systems. And yet Peter Wright and others wrote books about it and claimed he was the main spy. And he was. He was passing stuff to the guys in Russia. They didn't want accidents happening, so the guys at the top were in collusion. They made sure there was no accidents going to happen, no real bombs going to go off. It's a book called The Fifth Man, because you get a hold of it, it's well documented by a person who's used declassified information from government itself. It tells you all about Rothschild. He was put in charge of that. Prior to that, he'd worked for the military during World War II. He was eventually put in charge of Porton Downs Bacterial Warfare Laboratory. And then he went back to the banking for a while in his family. And then he was made chief over all the security systems in Britain for the rest of the Cold War. That's also Rico from Ontario on the line. Are you there, Rico? Yes, yes I am. How are you, Alan? Yes. Good. Um, I had a uh, quick uh, question for you. Uh, if you could break something down for me. I'm like of a Haitian background. Yes. And, you know, I, I was very proud of the fact that, you know, we had a 20-year civil war, fought for independence and, and, and everything like that, and I uh, finally got it in 1804. You know, I've, I've always been very proud of that. And um, I'm sure you're, you're familiar, uh, you know, Aristide was brought back, and now the, the U.N. is there, and yeah. they, they basically won't leave. So I, I just wanted you to, uh, if, if you could skip, because like, I've heard you talk before about Haiti, like, just quickly. I, I, I wanted a actual, like, maybe breakdown analysis of your, your, your uh, opinion about the, that whole thing. Yes, it's, again, it was one of the first places to ever truly uh, organize itself and rebel against slavery. And I often wonder if that's one of the reasons I've never forgiven it, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, the UN has been in and out of there forever, and it was like they're never going to let it go. For strategic points or purposes, it must be of tremendous value back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. And just if we go back to the book, we'll try Derek if he's still on the line. 
Hi, uh, from can Pennsylvania. Can you hear me, Owen? Yes. Hi. Oh, actually, someone's beeping me on my phone right now. Uh, it, can you hear me fine? I'm yes. sorry. Okay, I, I wanted to ask about Jordan Maxwell. Are you familiar with him? I've seen his older stuff. I don't know what he's doing now. Well, I recently listened to him on the Alex Jones show. I think it was last week. And he was talking, he, he's a real, in my opinion, he's a big con man. And he's actually a Hollywood guy, admittedly. He hangs out with all these Hollywood, you know, supposedly uh-huh. cool people, right? <laughs> but, uh, he, he's pitching this movie to Alex Jones and it just seems like he's taking what you say, maybe other, maybe not specifically you, but it certainly is a lot of your types of, uh, it's hard to even put my finger on it exactly, just the way you put things. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's kind of shameful. And oh, this beeping is really terrible. Can I call you back? I'm... Uh, you can try call back into the show, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just read this part uh, from this book as he's making the call. But uh, again, this is from Hope of the Wicked. And it says, 1989, Carl Bernstein of Watergate's Woodward and Bernstein book, Loyalties, the book's called Loyalties, A Son's Memoir, is published. His father and mother had been members of the Communist Party. Bernstein's father tells his son about the book. He says, you're going to prove Senator Joseph McCarthy was right because all he was saying is that the system was loaded with communists, and he was right. I'm worried about the kind of book you're going to write and about cleaning up McCarthy. The problem is that everybody said he was a liar. You're saying he was right. I agree that the party was a force in the country. Well, there was no doubt the party, the Communist Party, was a source in the country. I, as I say, it often it used to astonish me and other people in Europe as to why the U.S. was fighting abroad so much against communism when you could actually see it being taken over from within. It was very evident when you read the media. And who was funding it all? Remember, Carol Quigley said that that which the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, was doing uh, was often mistaken to be the Communist Party because really it's the same agenda. And not just the same agenda, the CFR and the big banks and bankers who run the CFR and the Royal Institute for International Affairs were funding the Soviet Union too, all through its existence. It's interesting that even the term communist, in a sense, was a front to hide the CFR. The whole agenda we're seeing today with the new economic system, the talk about a world where we'll serve the world state, this is all from the CFR's guidelines. And I don't know if people truly understand that yet. It's maybe hard, it's too hard a concept for them to understand. They can't understand, they cannot believe their lives will be changed so drastically. Well, the guys that own the money power can do as they wish because they are the money power and we're all dangling on their strings. That's the sad truth of it. 1990, President Bush calls the Gulf War an opportunity for the new world order. Remember again, the CFR always do every disaster and call it an opportunity. For a new world order, an address to Congress entitled Towards a New World Order, Mr. Bush says, The crisis in the Persian Gulf offers a rare opportunity to move toward a historic period of cooperation. Out of these troubled times, a new world order can emerge in which the nations of the world, east and west, north and south, can prosper and live in harmony. To 
day the new world is struggling to be born. A new world is struggling to be born. Who, who, des- who designed this baby? Hmm? 1990, an address to the UN Soviet Foreign Minister, Edward Shabarnese, describes Iraq's invasion of Kuwait as an act of terrorism that has been perpetrated against the emerging New World Order. On December 31st, Gorbachev declares that the New World Order would be ushered in by the Gulf Crisis. And it certainly has. It's been on a roller coaster ever since. As I say, now we're all under observation. All of us. And it's going to get worse. Remember again, that under this group who runs this world, we're all mentally ill. Everyone's mentally ill except themselves. They have reason. We don't have reason. They don't believe in superstition. Some of us have superstition, as they call it, meaning religion. So they're going to rectify that using psychiatry. In a UN address, President Bush speaks of the collective strength of the world community expressed by the UN, a historic movement towards a new world order, a new partnership of nations, a time when humankind came into its own to bring about a revolution of the spirit and the mind and begin a journey into a new age. He's got everything in there. The new age, the whole thing. 1991, author Linda McCrae Campbell publishes How to Start a Revolution at Your School. In context, she promotes the use of change agents as self-acknowledged revolutionaries and co-conspirators. Look at all these organizations, as I say, see who funds them. It's the same bunch. And people cannot get their heads around, why would the rich men in the world fund what seems to be a left-wing organization, or all the left-wing organizations? Why would they do that? Sutton, Anthony Sutton, came to the conclusion that they prefer a global society with centralized government, all under one world government, because then they can lend to all nations and their guaranteed payment from the governments. It's far easier than going door to door collecting money from people who owe them than then get it guaranteed by governments. President Bush praises the New World Order in a State of the Union address. What is at stake is more than one small country. It's a big idea, a New World Order, to achieve the universal aspirations of mankind based on shared principles and the rule of law. The illumination of a thousand points of light, you've heard that before. The winds of change are with us now. 91, President Bush tells the Economic Club of New York, my vision of a new world order foresees a United Nations with a revitalized peacekeeping function. 91, the Council on Foreign Relations co-sponsors an assembly rethinking America's security beyond Cold War to new world order, which is attended by 65 prestigious members of government, labor, academia, media, military, and the professions from nine countries. Later, several of the conference participants joined some 100 other world leaders for another closed-door meeting of the Bilderberger Society in Baden-Baden, Germany. The Bilderbergers also exert considerable clouts in determination or determining the foreign policies of the respective governments. See, we've never had what we thought was democracy. And even the Republic of the U.S. was completely walked right round, ignored. A republic was meant to contain the powers 
the U.S. was not meant to be a democratic system as such. It had a form of democracy for voting, etc. But no one was allowed to overthrow the Constitution. That was treason. Well, that's all been done. It's all been done. And Plato himself said that a democracy leads to communism, which always leads to dictatorship. It's been done many times in the past. 91, David Rockefeller speaking at the Bilderberger meeting in Baden-Baden, Germany, also attended by then-Governor Bill Clinton, states, We're grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications, whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years, meaning they've kept the silence. They hadn't talked about the meetings. They didn't tell the public what was going on. In order to explain it, it would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world. Do you vote Rockefeller in? Did any of us vote him in? Or any of his cohorts? No. Our plan for the world. If we've been subjected to the lights and publicity during those years, but the world is more sophisticated and prepared to match towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. So, an intellectual elite and world bankers, they're the ones who now rule you, as I was saying before. I've got Dale from Michigan on the line. There, Dale. Hello? Hello, Dale? Hello, yes? Yes. Um, I had the words of a song and a big subject for you to uh, tackle maybe in a future program. Um, the man who wrote the words to the music um, of The Wizard of Oz. Some of the lyrics were, once I built a railroad, made it run, yeah. yada, yada. And then uh, another line is, uh, once I built a tower to the sun, mm-hmm. brick and mortar and lime, once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. kept thinking, paradigm, I know paradigm's in there somewhere. And it's S paradigm, which are the uh, paradigm shifts you're talking about. Yes, and the, and the dime also uh, had the, the symbol of the fasci on it as well. We mustn't forget that. Really? <laughs> yeah, the back of it. Um, another thing is you talked about the uh, uh, people with fair skin that thanked God that they had fair skin and dark hair, and then there were the uh, blonde and red-haired, and a big subject on the net now is the RH negative. Mm-hmm. And I've traced it in all the people that separate themselves from others, the Basques, the Berbers, um, the Amish in the United States, they were 25% RH negative, mm-hmm. which if you know anything about the recessive nature of RH negative blood, there shouldn't be any anymore because if people truly bred freely, Mm-hmm. Being the recessive nature, there wouldn't be any more. So they realize, and that's why I believe they keep all of the uh, genetic records going all the way back. Um, yeah, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it, when you realize they've been taking the samples for years, not telling the public, and even that the Human Genome Project was on the go for so long before we'd even heard the term. Yeah. Uh, so they understood what they were looking for, and even yet they've never disclosed to the public uh, exactly what they were looking for. Yeah, and um, 
the Mormons have just uh, they all these people that are building um, ziggurat shaped monuments and everything yeah. that have you know one man will have 24 wives and I'm sure that if you got into their background but I've been researching a lot of this stuff that you usually find that these people are RH negative and they're trying to maintain that bloodline they're also implicated in all kinds of sex crimes against children and you know marry their cousins and nieces and everything but um, another fascinating aspect is people that claim that they've been visited by aliens are RH negative. And women have written in to these blogs saying that my mother is uh, A negative, my father is B positive, and I have AB negative blood. But the doctor tells me that that's entirely possible, that my father is my father. <laughs> and if know. you know anything about blood types, it's like, okay, honey, you know, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes, you know? Yes. And um, I believe that that's part of the mind control programs that they use. You find that the, the highest level military officers and political figures and everything are using military bases to sexually abuse children and everything, and I think it's part of breeding programs. And that they're well, I'll, I'll tell you where the main breeding, breeding programs were. They were done under the guise of Christian communities in the 1800s. And it was a perfect cover. No one would come in and touch them or even think about it. Because if you look at the Nida community in New York, uh, which has been documented, although they burned a lot of the records in the 1940s, and H.G. Wells even came over and visited them, and they were in touch with... with um, uh, the different uh, luminaries of that period across the world, um, they were a, be a breeding program where they actually introduced the children into active sexual participation at a very early age. They were not allowed to marry, but the elders decided who, who could procreate with whom for offspring. Uh, and they did keep incredible records of this. It was the most extensive breeding program, well protected too by very rich people in New York State from the top. Uh, to even get away with that in that era. And uh, when you go into what they were up to, it's astonishing, really, uh, that, that they managed to get away with so much. They were heavily protected from the top, from the top of the state Yeah. to do that. An another thing that struck me is that people that are minorities and are persecuted, and these people really aren't much persecuted because, no, but, I mean, they keep themselves out of the spotlight and their practices out of the spotlight, but they claim that they're more intelligent, that they have higher IQs, you know, but what they really have is a very difficult time breeding because, you know, if they combine RH positive and negative, and a person can be half and half, you know, have both the negative and the positive um, antigen, you know in their genetic code. Um, they're also so far ahead of this. And it, the key is, too, and I'm certain of this, they were into genetic alterations, literally, um, long before Watson came along with, it, with his double helix and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty certain of that. And so even those problems, they've got ironed out um, through science. They were, they were definitely studying genes, as I say, from records such as uh, uh, from the top mathematicians in the 1920s who were working on projects, pro projects to do with genes. Now, you wouldn't need a mathematicians like Rutherford unless you actually could see the genes, and supposedly that they weren't discovered till much later. 
but his own autobiography says that he worked on a project uh, where it was to do with, with the genes. So I think they were into this a long time ago. So any problems that they've had with inbreeding have been overcome. And who knows how long they've been into artificial insemination and um, the altering of the sperm. I don't know if people have known this, but I mean, even Victor Rothschild, I mentioned earlier, his main project at university when he was at Cambridge was on spermatozoa. Uh, and that's what you want to alter if you want to alter certain traits in the offspring. Uh, they're all into the same things, you know. Yeah, and and they're so into breeding, breeding animals, breeding humans. I yes, mean, you and know, it, you and look all at the way back to Plato, and you go back into Plato's Republic, and he talks about uh, the standard way to breed them was like domesticated animals until you get the perfect uh, pair, which you just keep in breeding from then on. So uh, this has been a, an agenda for an awful long time, and uh, and we also know too that uh, from the project paperclip where they brought so many Nazi scientists and from Germany to Britain and the U.S., um, a lot of they, those guys, I think, were, were interbred as well and their offspring as well. Some of them, went, their offspring went to special schools just for them. Well, and they've mentioned that um, oh, the head of NASA, I forget his name, but uh, he was brought over that he had married his uh, niece, I believe. But another interesting... Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to go now. There's the music coming in. We'll go back after this break. as 
well. If you want to get people off your back, just say it's the aliens. And people will run around in circles forever. Works very, very well. Sad thing, but true. And what I've noticed as well, a lot of, an awful lot of the old books were published in the 1800s by the Freemasonic associations, which were full of a lot of nonsense to do with mysticism, etc., put up there on purpose to attract members in, are now being republished again as though what they were saying was actual truth by certain authors. And it's just rehashing off the same old stuff. I mean, when you have the old books, you can recognize them right away. It's just the same stuff they're copying into new books and pushing out there again. And people gobble this stuff up. They gobble up the fantasy. Remember what Weishaupt said, the greatest way to get people into this organization is to present them with a great mystery. A great mystery. And you can dangle them for years as they go through degrees and and, and do hula hoops and, and do cartwheels and do whatever you want with them and they'll never learn what the secrets are because it says there are no secrets at the top. But meanwhile, they're happy, obedient workers for your agenda. If you wonder why Freemasonry, this charitable organization, are the main ones behind chipping the children, look at their websites. They proudly sponsor this, these events, chipping the children. High technology, tracking and tracing children, which will end up being throughout your whole life. Remember, you turn an adult eventually with the same fingerprints and the same chip. Lots of music coming in. So from Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your God's with you.